Hello and welcome to the July 8th online installment of AZ Law here on member-supported SunSounds of Arizona and sunsounds.org. I'm your volunteer reader and attorney Paul Wyke, and we explore Arizona's legal and judicial systems in this new program. We have several news articles and commentaries for this installment from a variety of sources, so let's get right to it. Our first article is from the Arizona Republic, reported by Rachel Leingang, and the headline is Judge Says Arizona Attorney General's Lawsuit Against ASU Hotel Deal Can Proceed For Now. It was reported on July 2nd and updated on July 3rd. Here's the article. Attorney General Mark Burnovich's lawsuit that seeks to undo a deal to bring a hotel and conference center to Arizona State University's campus can move forward, albeit in a more limited scope, a judge decided Tuesday. But only one part of that lawsuit, that the deal to bring an Omni hotel to the Tempe campus violates the Arizona Constitution's prohibition on public gifts to private entities, is going forward. The hotel is slated for University Drive and Mill Avenue, a prime location in Tempe. It would be the university's first on-campus hotel. Plans call for a 330-room hotel and a 30,000-square-foot conference center to be built on land owned by the Regents. Arizona Tax Court Judge Christopher Witten said the Attorney General does not have the authority to bring the lawsuit otherwise, a similar denial to one Bernovich's office received in a lawsuit against the university's over-tuition costs. The gift clause argument moving forward means the Omni deal is the legality of the Omni deal is still unsettled. If Bernovich succeeds with the lawsuit, the arrangement could fall apart and other real estate deals the university enters into could also be in jeopardy. The Omni lawsuit was Bernovich's second offensive against the universities in a battle that has grown increasingly tense over the past two years. Bernovich first sued the universities over tuition costs he claims violate a state constitutional provision that requires college to be as nearly free as possible. That lawsuit was dismissed by a Maricopa County Superior Court judge who said Bernovich did not have the authority to sue without permission from the governor or legislature. It is now on appeal. In Bernovich's original filing in January in Arizona tax court, he argued the university's real estate deals boost favored companies and help them avoid paying taxes. ASU essentially is renting out its tax-exempt status to private businesses by allowing for-profit companies to build on tax-exempt university-owned land, Bernovich said. He sought to force an unbuilt Omni Hotel to pay property taxes. Bernovich filed an amended complaint in April that added in a claim that the Omni deal violated the gift clause because it appeared the hotel company would be paying well below market value for the site. Bernovich said his office did not know many details of the deal before receiving records in March. If that is not proven to be the case, the lawsuit could be dismissed. Witten affirmed that the Arizona Board of Regents, which oversees the state's public universities, has the authority to enter into leases using the land it owns, like it did with the Omni deal. The judge also said there is no money missing from the tax rolls because the land already was tax-exempt. And that article was from Rachel Leingang, the Arizona Republic, and it was headlined, Judge says Arizona Attorney General's lawsuit against ASU hotel deal can proceed for now. Well, next we head to CBS News for this article. 
and it is not Arizona related directly, but it is part of our Sun Sounds community. Uh, it's of interest to our Sun Sounds community, I should say. And the headline is Bad Braille Plagues Buildings Across U.S. CBS News Radio Investigation Finds. This is reported by Steve Dorsey, and the date is June 28th. The federal government, corporations, cities, and even medical facilities across the country are looking past the needs of blind Americans by failing to address problems with Braille signage. CBS News has uncovered complaints to the Justice Department's Disability Rights section about missing or incorrect Braille at a number of public facilities, including Albuquerque's bus system, restaurants in Kansas and Pennsylvania, and hospital and medical buildings in Chicago, among other locations. The records, spanning two years, were obtained through a Freedom of Information Act request. And I should note here that AZ Law has requested uh, from Steve Dorsey whether any Arizona violations were also in there or complaints were also in there. 41-year-old Venser Cotton, who has been blind since birth, often encounters bad braille in Washington, D.C. Cotton says he once entered the wrong restroom because of it. I swing open the door, I dive in, and I get that screaming group of ladies in a haste to put me out, Cotton said. And that was simply because the sign said men in braille. Accompanying a CBS News journalist, Cotton found incorrect and missing Braille at a branch of the D.C. Public Library, which had a notable lack of Braille signage and no labeling of audiobooks, which are a common way of reading for the blind. At the Franklin Delano Roosevelt Memorial, the Braille was too oversized to read for the blind. When asked about this, the National Park Service told CBS News that the Braille on the memorial was part of the artist's design of the memorial. In quotes, and was not necessarily intended as, as accessibility elements for the blind. Huh. City Hall at the Wilson Building in the District of Columbia featured labels that were overly generic, for instance, labeling a set of stairs as stairs, rather than identifying the location of the building, like Northwest Stairs or Stairs Number 1. A bathroom sign for the men's restroom, Cotton said, was just nonsense. Having a correctly brailled exit sign could mean the difference between life and death, Cotton said. Disability rights attorney and author Lainey Feingold says federal and state accessibility requirements are often ignored. Sadly, compliance with federal and state laws and regulations often don't happen, she said. There is not the attention to detail around accessibility as there is to other issues like security and privacy, when really it is all the same. A spokesman for the U.S. government's watchdog over accessibility design standards at federally funded buildings, the U.S. Access Board, says older facilities and monuments are often excluded from disability guidelines. And the USAB says it has no estimate of how many federally funded buildings are complying with disability access laws. But almost 30 years since the Americans with Disabilities Act became law, many visually impaired people like Cotton say the availability of accurate Braille is still falling short. And that article was reported by Steve Dorsey of CBS News. Bad Braille plagues buildings across U.S. Their CBS News radio investigation finds. And as mentioned, we will update if we get a response from them as to whether there were any Arizona-related complaints in there. Our next article is from our own Arizona'sLaw.org website. Uh, we reported this on June 27th. Judge dismisses effort to accelerate special election for Arizona's U.S. Senate seat. Here's the article. 
The special election to fill the rest of the late Senator John McCain's six-year term will not be moved up from next November. A federal judge today dismissed a lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of the Arizona laws that have permitted Governor Doug Ducey to appoint replacements for a period of nearly two and a half years. An appeal of U.S. District Court Judge Diane Humetua's decision has in effect already been filed. As AZ Law reported last week, plaintiffs appealed the effective denial by failing to rule promptly, a theory fiercely contested by Governor Ducey's outside counsel. This week, the North Ninth Circuit gave the sides until Monday, July 1st, to explain whether an appealable order was in place and whether the appeal should be expedited. Although plaintiffs' counsel has not yet responded to AZ Law's requests, it would seem likely that today's dismissal be immediately appealed in the already open matter. Judge Humituaz scolded plaintiff's counsel for its efforts to nudge the court into issuing a ruling. In a footnote, the judge noted that many of the delays in moving the case forward had been because of the counsel's earlier scheduling conflicts. As to the substance, the judge agreed with the governor's arguments that the cost of a special election and maximizing voter turnout are important state interests that help justify Arizona's special election statute. She addressed that 27-month period by saying, quote, because Senator McCain died just days before the scheduled 2018 primary election, over two years will pass before the voters have a chance to fill the seat by election. While this period may not be a short period of time, nothing in the 17th Amendment limits the period of time that an appointed senator can be in office. The 27-month period on its own is not unreasonable considering case precedent and does not amount to an unreasonable restriction on plaintiffs' right to vote. Because there is no unreasonable restriction on plaintiffs' right to vote, plaintiffs cannot establish a violation of their constitutional rights, and therefore count one is dismissed. Chandler attorney Tom Ryan was not involved in this case, but has vocally opposed the law. He tells AZ Law, the Arizona GOP was well aware of Senator McCain's dire diagnosis, and they changed Title 16 to give Governor Ducey the right to play around with a Senate appointment. This change has effectively deprived Arizona voters a say in many national issues, including important appointments to the U.S. Supreme Court and other spots on the federal bench. That's the end of Ryan's comments. The law was changed by the governor and the Republican-controlled legislature in early 2018, and it went into effect, the new law went into effect mere weeks before Senator McCain's passing. And we have an update on this. Since publishing this article, the Ninth Circuit decided that it was dismissing the now moot appeal and will instead be considering the second appeal that was filed just before the July 4th holiday. And that article was, Judge Dismisses Effort to Accelerate Special Election for Arizona's U.S. Senate Seat. And that was our own AZ Law original reporting. Our next article is from Jacques Bellot, uh, the Associated Press here in Arizona. Arizona prosecutors cannot seek execution in case against immigrant. Here's the article. Oh, it's from July 5th, I should note. Prosecutors can no longer seek the death penalty against a Mexican immigrant charged with murder in the 2015 shooting death of a convenience store clerk in a Phoenix suburb because the accused is intellectually disabled, a judge has ruled. The ruling on Wednesday means Apolinar Altamirano will face life in prison if he is convicted of first-degree murder in the killing of 21-year-old clerk Grant Ronnebeck at the store in Mesa. 
the case against Alta Murano has been cited by President Donald Trump, who has railed against crimes committed against American citizens by immigrants who are in the United States illegally. Trump, who has created a new office to serve victims of immigration crimes and their relatives, has invoked such crimes at his rallies, pointing to case after case in which people were killed by immigrant assailants who slipped through the cracks. It is unclear whether prosecutors will appeal the ruling. We are reviewing the analysis and the record to assess next steps, according to a statement from the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, which is prosecuting Altamirano. Altamirano is a citizen of Mexico who has lived in the United States without authorization for about 20 years. He was deported and returned to the United States. He is accused of fatally shooting Ronnebeck after the store clerk insisted that Altamirano pay for a pack of cigarettes. Authorities say Altamirano stepped over Ronnebeck to get several packs of cigarettes before leaving the store. He led officers on a high-speed chase before his arrest, and a handgun and unopened pack of cigarettes were later found in his vehicle, police said. Altamirano has already been sentenced to six years in prison for his earlier guilty pleas in the case to misconduct involving weapons. He still faces murder, robbery, and other charges in Ronnebeck's death. He has pleaded not guilty to the remaining charges. His trial is currently scheduled for August 1st. Judge Michael Kemp concluded that Altamirano, 34 years old, has sub-average intellectual functioning, explaining Altamirano had completed only the fifth grade and needed special education courses, but none were offered in rural Mexico where he lived before moving to the United States. In an October decision, Kemp prohibited prosecutors from introducing evidence at Altamirano's trial that he was in the United States illegally. The judge said the prejudice from Altamirano's immigration status outweighs any relevance it may have. In 2002, the U.S. Supreme Court barred the execution of intellectually disabled persons. And that's the end of the article from July 5th from Jacques Boulot of the AP, the Arizona, the Arizona Bureau of the AP. And the headline was, Arizona prosecutors cannot seek execution in case against immigrant. And let's finish up on a semi-related note. This is a commentary article published on blogforarizona.com by attorney Michael Bryan, Tucson attorney Michael Bryan. It was published on July 3rd. The headline is, Arizona U.S. Attorney Michael Bailey is using Scott Warren to legally intimidate aid workers. Here's the article. When Dr. Scott Warren's jury hung 8-4 to four in favor of acquittal, the Arizona U.S. attorney, who was only appointed by Trump this May, or was only confirmed in May, and had until that point been Arizona A.G. Brnovich's chief deputy, was faced with making the decision whether to retry Dr. Warren. The decision was made by the principal in the office, Mr. Bailey himself. No one else could or would have made the decision to so thoroughly waste office resources in an effort to retry Dr. Warren, other than Mr. Bailey. There is no mistaking the clear message to humanitarian aid workers all across the border region. That message is, don't help the desperate people dying in the deserts unless you wish to face prosecution. This is part of a larger policy of harassing and immiserating refugees seeking entry and asylum in the United States, and the Trump administration certainly does not want do-gooders meddling in their plans to torture and humiliate refugees. Warren's arrest was the most aggressive in a series of escalating actions taken by federal law enforcement against border-based aid providers since Donald Trump's election. 
The official policy of the United States to control the border is, after all, prevention through deterrence. One element of deterrence is apparently to intimidate aid workers from providing aid to immigrants. For instance, No More Deaths took video of agent destroying aid supplies that they had left in the weeks prior to Warren's persecution. I can see how these CBP agents think they are furthering the mission of prevention through deterrence with these actions, but I wonder if they consider carefully the people who may need those supplies to stay alive in the harsh conditions of the Sonoran Desert in the summer. The section of U.S. code that Dr. Warren has been and will again be prosecuted with is 8 U.S.C. 1324. Reading it, you will not find that giving food, water, shelter, medical aid, or clothing in the title. Instead, the state's theory was that Dr. Warren attempted to transport or move illegal aliens in the United States. Needless to say, that legal move is unusual in a case in which there is no profit motive. No one was alleged to have been paid to further the refugees' movement into the U.S. In Warren's case, the government claimed that Perez Villanueva and Sicaria Godet were not in distress when they got to the barn and that Warren gave them directions for continuing north. It is the thinnest of cases. Warren is said to have been seen making hand movements indicating how to travel north. Ridiculous. Now, that theory of the case has been tried and found wanting by a jury. Yet Michael Bailey has made the decision to spend thousands of man-hours to re-prosecute such a weak case. There is only one explanation, and it is not flattering to the integrity and probity of Mr. Bailey's office. Mr. Bailey appears to be willingly lending the power of his office to the administration's campaign to intimidate and and prosecute legitimate humanitarian aid workers. Mr. Bailey is helping to advance this administration's grossly inhumane border policies of demonstrative cruelty to deter entries by refugees with this politically motivated and poorly evidenced persecution. I think it would be productive and interesting were someone in the media to demand the records of any communication between Bailey's office with the leadership of the Justice Department and the White House regarding the prosecution of Scott Warren. Amnesty International has compiled a report entitled Saving Lives is Not a Crime on the Prosecution of Aid Workers on the U.S.-Mexico Border that highlights many prosecutions, including Scott Warren's. One of its major recommendations, which I think is just common sense, halt prosecutions of humanitarian actions under 8 U.S.C. 1324 for smuggling or harboring. Mr. Bailey should take a careful look at that report and realize he is on the wrong side of history, even if he is currently on the side of the Trump administration. And that commentary by Tucson attorney Michael Bryan was headlined, Arizona U.S. Attorney Michael Bailey is using Scott Warren to legally intimidate aid workers. And with that, we reach the end of this online installment of Arizona's Law. Your comments and suggestions to make this program better are always welcome. You can contact us at either info at sunsounds.org or paul.wyke.azlaw at gmail.com. And Wyke is spelled W-E-I-C-H. I am your volunteer reader and Arizona attorney, Paul Wyke, thanking you for tuning into our new program and urging you to keep listening to member-supported Sun Sounds of Arizona. Mm-hmm.